What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 plus one football show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga in the new year 2024. Yes, we are back on the airwaves, but we will be skipping the customary little metaphor at the beginning of our shows because we have to pay tribute to one of the greatest footballers to have ever graced the beautiful game, and that is Franz Beckenbauer. As many of you have heard, and uh, we've also posted, the former Germany and Bayern Munich centre-back died two days ago at the age of 78. Our thoughts are all with his family and friends at this difficult time. But I think it always is a good thing to look back on the person that is and was Franz Beckenbauer because, you know, as we've said, one of the greatest legends of the game. And, you know, there's a specific reason why, isn't there, Billy? He is synonymous with German football. I think you think of German football, a few names will spring to mind. You think of Gerd Müller, Franz Beckenbauer, Lotto Matthäus. Not only on the pitch, but off it as well. He played a massive part in the history of one of the better footballing nations in the world one of the few to win the World Cup as both a player and the manager, um, 1974 as captain, no less, for Germany, and then managing Germany, managing Germany in 1990 in Italy. Um, look, I think he, he had the nickname in Germany, Der Kaiser, or the Emperor, and just the grace with which he played football if you just watch you know old videos obviously both of us never saw him play live but you know just watching the old videos chip free kicks in the uh in the old olympia stadion in munich um you know going top bins and all he did was basically take one step and just toe poke it right over the over the wall and into uh the top corner it's it's things like that where you just you just sit back in awe or he just dispossesses players with such ease without you know smashing into them without fouling them whatever and for me the greatest center back of all time still i know Paolo maldini still played uh after beckingboa and i know a lot of center backs have come through who would be worthy to of the conversation basically but for me still franz beckingboa tops that list clear as day well as a player he won five bundesligas four dfb cups three champions leagues or european cups as they were at the time he won a uefa cup as a manager liga and a bundesliga so there's greatness in everything he did and i think i think a lot of people now sort of younger people definitely that don't know older football specifically older german football will see some of the clips and some of the footage from him and just appreciate how good he was yeah definitely and i mean you know it it says as much when over 50 percent of uh users asked on sky sports germany for instance have said that the allianz arena should be renamed to be the franz beckenbauer arena um the dfb pokal should be renamed the franz beckenbauer um pokal and they should retire the number five shirt for Germany as a whole. 
you know, I think that speaks volumes when, you know, it, it isn't just older people who are users on Sky. It's also a lot of the younger generation, and they still appreciate what that man did for German football. Well, there's a, a fantastic piece in The Guardian written by Jonathan Wilson, if you can find it. But just the just the tagline is, Franz Beckenbauer was a player out of time who made football evolve with him. When you think about some of the players now, we've we've spoken about this players being very robotic and of a type. Yeah. To have a, a player back then who sort of dragged football forward with the way he played. You'll never see it again, I don't think. Yeah, definitely not. We did, however, say in our post that, you know, as with in general, it's not always black and white. There was also some, you know, as we say in German, there's always uh, Licht and Schatten or light and shadow. And his career was a little bit or the, his reputation was a little bit marred because he did play a role in the somewhat dubious awarding of the hosting rights to Germany for the World Cup 2006. Now, obviously, in that um, judicial, well, let's call it a scandal, um, the the judicial process at some point dragged on for so long that, you know, all the defendants were acquitted, but there, you know, there was no denying that he still did play a process, um, sorry, a part in the process of the awarding of the hosting of the World Cup in 2006. And when I say played a part of the process, I do mean that there were some, you know, well, I mean, the, the judicial uh, findings were that there were definitely indications of payments made to uh, bring the World Cup to Germany. So, you know, as much as Qatar 2022 wasn't, you know, or everyone knows that it, it was definitely a scandal, um, the lesser known scandal was Germany 06. And also speaking of Qatar 2022, he also did make some insensitive comments about the workers' conditions ahead of the World Cup as well. So everyone, uh, or with as with all people, I would say there's definitely, you know, some obviously lesser known, but also less than uh, optimal sides to every person. It's probably not the best way to put it but you know every everyone has some some darkness i guess uh in some way and i think it still goes to show what a person he was is that even with this he will still be remembered as a legend of the game both on and off the pitch 100 percent. I'll, I'll just read the last paragraph from that piece from jonathan wilson but why would Beckenbauer have been a great theorist? Why would he, as a manager, have been part among the tactical avant-garde? As a player, by being who he was, without having to conceptualise it, he had changed the way the game was played. He emerged as a player out of time and made football conform to him. Which I think is pretty... Well, it sums it up pretty well, I think. Definitely. There's, there's a reason why... Uh... Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said, you know, we need to plan a massive funeral for, or uh, a funeral procession almost for Beckenbauer at the Allianz Arena, um, which incidentally will now be held on January 19th. And, you know, Uli Hoeneß right away said, yes, definitely, we have to do it. Obviously, those are his former um, teammates, but still, I think it will be a very long time until another player 
can reach or maybe even there will not be another player that can reach the amount of influence or have the amount of influence that Franz Beckenbauer had on not just German football, but football in general. And we forget this guy also played with Pele, not just the German grace, but he played with some some of the greatest, if not the greatest footballers of all time. Well, there we go. Franz Beckenbauer, the German football legend, dead at the age of 78. Rest in peace, Der Kaiser. Well, we didn't read off a list of topics, but we're sticking with the Bundesliga and we're going to talk about FC Köln because over the winter break, there was a quite a large shaking up at the club with Christoph Baumgart leaving by mutual agreement. So he wasn't sacked, but maybe he thinks that he's gotten everything out of the team that he could have done. And maybe they've gotten everything out of him as well. He had been a great servant, but they are 17th in the league at the moment. So before we talk about the other going on at FC Kern, is it surprising to you that Baumgart's gone with them 17th in the league? I mean, not really. You just saw that even someone who, you know, has the charisma that Stefan Baumgart has. And I think, you know, he was one of those managers that definitely inspired in his team to basically go through hell for him. And, I think there are a few managers, you know, maybe a Christian Streich or a Jurgen Klopp who have the, that same type of, you know, I will go through hell for you um, aura around them. But Stefan Baumgart, he may not have been one of the most successful managers of all time, but he definitely was one of those guys who who stuck in your head because, you know, he was one of those no bullshit kind of guys. He um, looked at the camera after a loss and was like, well, that was absolutely shit. There's no way to... Uh, beat around the bush here um and he was also you know from from all the stories that you hear one of one of those guys who you could really go to as a player and you know he had sort of like a father figure almost um or he was a father figure to to his team so i think that's the reason why Kern did hold on for as long as they did but it just goes to show that the situation at the club is just that precarious that even a Stefan Baumgart at some point can't reach his players. And I think at that point, Stefan Baumgart is also a good enough manager to basically say, I think it also might be time for me to go and not just the club say you're fired, which is part of the mutual consent thing. Yeah. It ends on better terms than it could have done, but you know, we all saw that video of when he had COVID and yeah, he, was, exactly. he was on the phone and he was watching and coaching from his living room. And I think his, his wife and his kids were, were filming his reaction to stuff. It, the same passion from home that he brought to the pitch. And I think when that fails to get through that level of, if, if you run through a brick wall for me, I'll run through one for you. Yeah, yeah. Type attitude that he brought. I think when that ends and when that goes or fails to get a response, I think it probably is the time to go. But you look at that team and I'm not wholly criticizing the team. I'm not saying he's completely blameless in it, but it's not a fantastic team. No, it's not the best squad you've ever seen. And it's a far cry away from, you know, the team. Uh, well, I mean, you say a far cry away. It's not even that long ago that this team were uh, in the running for conference league. You just have to think about how far they've pr practically fallen. And, you know, his, his replacement, Timo Schultz, 
Um, previously a manager of FC Baza, yes, that's not the biggest name, but he was manager from July 2020 until December 2022 of Zangpoli. And, you know, while there, he had 1.45 points per game on average, which isn't amazing, but it's also not that bad. So I think under the circumstances and looking at the at the managers on the market and in the range that Cohn can get, that was probably one of your better options. I wouldn't say he was, you know, the first pick in my head to go replace him. I think considering the situation Cohn are in, they can count themselves lucky that they found someone that quickly. Just an interesting one, Sam Pauli, because they're always almost like the Zweite Bundesliga's perennial bridesmaid. Exactly, but I mean, this season, it's not looking bad. Well, I say this season, they are right up there. Exactly. But, yeah, it's it's almost never quite their day, is it, Sam Pauli? But... Nah, it's it's one of those clubs who are just always sniffing, sniffing at promotion. They get it a couple times where they can never really make it stick, and then they end up in the uh, Bundesliga, in the second Bundesliga again, and then they, you know, but they never also get completely relegated and, you know, start falling off like, you know, say in Alemannia Aachen, who once got relegated all the way down from the Bundesliga to the fourth division in the Regionalliga West um, in the span of four seasons. So it's it's not quite like that, but um, you know, going coming back to Köln, Köln are going to have a serious job to stay up because that is our next topic in the realm of Köln because their ban or their transfer ban, better said, has been upheld by Cass, and now they can't do any transfer dealings, which would be a massive blow if they do still end up getting relegated because everyone knows the mass exodus that happens of players when a team gets relegated because a certain amount of those players are still Bundesliga caliber. Um, They find other teams, but not being able to register new players. They're allowed to transfer them um, or buy them from other, from other teams, you know, technically speaking. But of course, if you can't register them, then you wouldn't shell out the money in the first place and no player is going to go anywhere where you can't be registered. So, you know, in effect, that is one of the worst things can, that can happen to Köln. And they, you would hope that they at least manage to stay up in the Bundesliga so that they don't have to rebuild the squad all that much. So for those that haven't or that don't understand, why exactly have they been given this ban? So basically, and we already did a did an episode about uh, I want to say it was a season five in the beginning. I'm not exactly sure, but we did do an episode where basically there were some rumors about Kern having uh, not really been completely clean in the dealings for a youth player from uh, Ljubljana in Slovenia, and. Basically, the deal was that they or the accusation was that they had apparently kind of, you know, egged on the player to break his contract with his uh, with his, you know, at the time, current club um, to basically come join Kurt. And, you know, the general sentiment is that it does happen 
or it's not uncommon for you know other other clubs to basically go like yeah okay come on just don't you know break contract and come to us come to a bigger club it's not it's all good the general consensus is that you know that doesn't happen um very sparingly but it, it is you know a regular occurrence almost but apparently Cohen didn't handle it in the smartest way to kind of you know cover their tracks or make it at least a little bit deniable so to speak that being said this was for a youth player and the transfer fee was somewhere in the range of about you know close to half a million which if you think about it isn't you know the biggest infraction of the law you've ever seen but then you think about the fact that manchester city is still running around scot-free with about 115 ffp violations that they have been readily accused of um and they're not getting so much as a slap on the wrist yeah but the flip side to that is for the sake of half a million euros you could have avoided this entire thing oh definitely i'm not i'm not saying that kern was smart about it i'm saying kern was you know they should they should have done better um and they could have there were a million different ways to probably make this not the shit show that it has become but i mean here i'll I'll read off basically what the what the transfer ban has now said. So basically, in general, new players for the senior team cannot be registered. And then also players who are out on loan cannot be called back. They can't um, register players who are free agents before the 31st of December. Um, which I mean, it basically meant that the you know the ban was upheld right away, and and the ban lasts until January 2025. So basically, they can't register new players until January 2025. So it's similar to the one that Chelsea got, and, but Chelsea uh, were able to get out of it. <laughs> well, Chelsea, I think Chelsea's was a lot longer. But they missed two transfer windows under Frank Lampard, didn't they? For a similar thing to do with the registration and poaching of youth players and things like that. Exactly. But I mean, that that's the thing, right? You know, with Chelsea, it was a lot bigger and it was a lot more players, apparently. And it still was or it's still being viewed as the same infraction, basically, for a youth player. I'm not saying Cohen should be getting off scot-free because they definitely you know they've admitted to wrongdoing and there's there's no two ways about it but at the end of the day it's still you know you smash the smaller clubs and then hit the bigger clubs with the same sentence for bigger infraction when it's going to hurt the smaller clubs that much more yeah it's a, a bit of an injustice not an injustice but an imbalance similar to the everton points deduction making an example exactly. yeah. of a smaller club yeah it's it's a bit i don't agree with the banning i think they should be punished but maybe make that punishment youth team related for the sake of half a million euros they've caused themselves essentially a two-year stagnant period actually no, probably that. not stagnant because they're probably going to get relegated if not this season next season yeah i was about to say because if you can't register players you're still going to have some players who are going to leave this this coming summer yeah even I believe you stay up. Is Luca Waldschmidt on loan? He is. He's on loan for Wolfsburg. I mean, I don't rate him very much anymore anyway, but 
you know, he's on loan, so they can't have him. They'll lose other players. They'll lose probably Florian Kainz. Yeah. yeah. You know, to a, a mid-table, a Gladbach or something will pick up Florian Kainz. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, put it this way, it's not a rosy projection for Cohen, so to speak. Um, at the end of the day, let us know, what do you think about the Cohen transfer ban? Is it an injustice outright? Is it an indiscriminate banning of the smaller clubs? Or, you know, have they been punished justly? Who knows? Uh, let us know what you guys think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, going from one club who don't have so rosy projections to another who have had a bleak, festive period, so to speak, and that's Borussia Dortmund. And there was some, let's say, you know, hammering breaking news coming out of West Germany, and that is that the Dortmund CEO, Hans-Joachim Watzke, is not seeking re-election after his contract runs out in 2025. How much of a blow is that to Borussia Dortmund? You know, the guy's been there for decades. And he was the reason that Dortmund arguably are where they are today in both the positive and the negative aspects. Yeah, he became CEO in 2020, uh, in 2005, sorry. After all that overspending and having to borrow money from buying scandals and things like that. He was the treasurer before that. So he's been there for 20 years. And let's be honest, Dortmund have had some very good players over the years. They've also sold those players for a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, so basically financially speaking, not a bad job. Financially speaking, not a bad job. Success-wise, I think there will be those who, who argue it probably could have been better. You know, they lost the Champions League final to a very good buy-in side. The league was begging to be taken from Bayern last season and they threw it away on the last day. That's not down to Hans-Joachim Vatska. You know, he didn't take the penalty that Sebastian Allaire missed. He didn't hit the post twice. Fair enough. But, but he did put that squad together. Exactly. I can understand the frustration around it because let's be honest now, particularly now that Haaland and Bellingham and, well, Sancho had gone, he's now going back again. Not, not completely sure, but, you know, it's looking very much... Billy, we still have we only deal with the absolutes here. I he's do, on the I plane. He'll be to maybe's. I do, do absolute. If you're on that ball, she'd be your uncle, but she doesn't, so she's not. I love that kid. Jesus Christ! Why? Why? Why are you laughing for? Why are you laughing for? Why I said it before. Sadio Mane. <laughs> I said it before. Sadio Mane. He's the best football player in the world. In the world. <laughs> Why is, why is laughing for? Why is laughing for? Being serious. Going back to Hans Vatska and leaving <laughs> leaving a scout lad back at Anfield. Jesus Christ! So they sold a lot of good players, and now the squad looks, let's be be honest, fairly bang average. There was a rumor. I know you said we did an absolute, but I just thought I'd, I'd have to bring this up. So there was a, a, a large rumor spreading around that Marco Royce captain and hero at Dortmund had led a player coup against Edin Terzic and the powers that be at Dortmund. Which he has refuted in an interview. Of course, because you're not going to sit there and go, yes, of course. 
probably 99.9% not true. Yes. But there's a lot of pressure on Dortmund. Oh, particularly yeah. because of what happened last year. Had they won last year, I think Handjoakim Vatska says, Stays okay, on, yeah. I've done 20 years, but we're, we're, in a, we're in a good period. I'll go again. Yeah. What I would be worried about is someone being elected into his position that is strictly a money-focused person. So they're going to have yeah. a, another decade of, we'll buy this player very cheap from an obscure club in Poland. We'll make them into one of the best strikers in Europe, and then we'll just let them go. For free. For free. Or, you know, we'll, we'll get heaps of young players from the top five leagues in Europe. We'll nurture them like we did with Dembele and Haaland and Bellingham and Sancho, Pierre and Aubameyang. And we'll then sell them a huge profit with the looks of reinvesting that money into the next crop, which is fine when it's working. But now that it's not working for Dortmund, they are struggling. Well, you say not working or working. I would argue that it hasn't been working for a while because if it had worked, there would have been more Bundesliga titles than just the ones in 2011 and 2012 that have sprung out since Butzka took over. Let's be know, real. They were, very, they were very good that year. They had Haaland and Sancho when they won the DFB Pokal. Yeah, but the thing is, they still lost that league, and it wasn't by you know insanely close margins like you know the 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 previous season where it was decided on the final day. Yeah, it wasn't you know a twenty point gap, but it wasn't like at any point in time people were like mm -hmm, maybe it will happen again. No, the the thing for me is that I think. Vatska, you know, like you said, on the one hand, financially, he put that club back on track. They they were so close to bankruptcy. Um, you know, Bayern helped them out with the one million uh euro loan, but still, you know, it was it was very touch and go. And there was a time where Dortmund were, you know, very happy to be finishing mid-table. Um that being said. He has built the club up, but I think he's also a very big reason for why the culture is, like you've said, mostly get the small talents, nurture them, sell them off for a massive payday. And that is why it'll be it'll be extremely interesting to see who replaces him. Because arguably you need someone with more of a footballing mind, like an ex-player to do so. But it also needs to be an ex-player because we've seen you know, players who you would have thought are perfect for the job, like, say, an Oliver Kahn, have, you know, burned, crash and burn, basically. So it'll be a very careful selection because the person who comes in will be the person who Dortmund are going to say, this guy is taking us to the next era, so to speak. And that has to be someone who is not only capable of taking the fight to Bayern every season, but we'll be looking to not just fight with Bayern, but actually win a title. I can't find anyone. Is there no. any rumors or any names being thrown about in Germany? Or is it because it's not yet. so far off? Relative? Not yet. It's it's still quite far off. I'd imagine Dortmund are now, you know, in like you know, behind the behind the scenes, fully, you know, search mode basically to look for the next guy because 
you're going to have to vet this person extensively. But no, there haven't been any rumors. Would you say that it is the best time to go for Vatska, though? Or would you say it's long overdue? I think you made a good point. Yeah, he's he's responsible for them being back on track, but he's also respo- responsible in part for the stagnation of the club. So I think it's probably a good time to go out. 20 years is long enough. I think that what worked yeah. back when he first started clearly doesn't work as well now. Oh, definitely they're not, not. They're not crashing and burning. They're not in any financial... He's left them in a very good place. In a very, very good place. One of the most respected clubs in Europe. Exactly. I mean, they were when he took over. They won the Champions League in 97, but they've got a fantastic reputation for the nurturing of young players. So teams are likely to say, look, you want to go or you want to go on loan. Dortmund is, is the place to, to try it. I mean, if you look at it, there were some rumors and, you know, the you know confirmed rumors as well that in Dortmund, the front office wasn't all of one mind. You know, it was very much Vatska versus Kier on some of these things. And Vatska has always been a very, very big supporter of Edin Terzic. You know, Terzic, if we're being honest, his Champions League performances saved him because if it weren't for those, he would have been gone already. And arguably, Kier wanted him gone even with the Champions League success. So I think, you know, Vatska is, in addition to the culture of the club being sell when the market value is highest, he's also not exactly done a lot to make sure that the front office is in complete harmony, which is needed when you look at the way the squad is being put together. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'd agree with you and say basically thanks for the years, but it's time. Okay, Um, here's here's one before we move on from Hans-Joachim Vatska. Now he's announced his intention to step down and go. Does that give Sebastian Kale more power? Because he can now hold the the banner of you're not going to be here after the end of this year. What, why do you care? Why are you kicking up a fuss? If I want to get rid of Edin Terzic because I don't think the performances are good enough, I'm thinking long-term here. You're not going to be here past 2024. Well, I think you still can't underestimate the amount of power that Hans-Joachim Vatske holds inside that club. At the end of the day, the power might be gone when he leaves, but up until that point, I think he still has quite a big say and it won't be, you know, Zabasek going rogue and saying, "Well, you're not, you're not going to be here anyway." And you, the only reason Vatske is still even in office um, is purely, you know, like an honorary role. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, he's done too much for the club for that to for that to happen. And if that were the case, I don't think he would stay on. He would have resigned immediately. Well, there we go. That's Hans-Joachim Vatska. We will finish the Bundesliga and start the Premier League on the same topic because currently we are in the, well, just about to start the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations. So let's have a brief look at which teams are going to be most affected by the players leaving midway through. And we'll start in the Bundesliga. We'll start with the most affected club in Germany's top flight. And that is the top of the league Bayer Leverkusen because they are losing 
uh, Kasunu, Tapsoba, Adley, Boniface, and Nathan Teller. But not only that, Victor Boniface today has had surgery on an injury picked up whilst training with Nigeria. So he's out until April. How big of a miss? Oh, it's just unraveling for Leverkusen, isn't it? You know, they're the only team in all of the professional football at this point who are still unbeaten this season. You look at all the 54 senior men's teams, I think, in the in you know in Europe, and they're still the only unbeaten team. And it is a testament to what Xabi Alonso's done. But now with the next month, yeah, it's it's gonna be three or four games tops where they would technically be out, but you don't know how these players are gonna come back. You don't know if they're gonna pick up injuries during this tournament, you don't know if they're going to be um needing a rest after the tournament and basically saying you know i'm i'm not fully fit coach i'm gonna be i'm gonna need like two weeks to recover so this could be something where it very quickly turns into you know a five or six seven week absence where you're gonna have to fill some very very big holes Tapsoba and kusunur is half that back line that's massive because that back line has been solid for Leverkusen. And more than solid. They're the reason that they arguably haven't lost the game. And then, you know, the flip side to that, Victor Boniface has been the guarantor for goals up top. There's a reason Patrick Schick hasn't had the same influence that he had when he scored 24 goals in one season. Um, you know, the drop-off there has been insane. And now he is more or less Leverkusen's only hope up top for scoring goals. Because you also, like you said, you have an Amin Adli who's not going to be helping. There's Nathan Teller who's not going to be helping. Um, you know, there's so many key players missing that I, I mean, I hope for the sake of the Bundesliga that Leverkusen keep up their performances. But there will, I think, be some sort of drop off in the players miss because no team will be, no team is getting hit like Leverkusen. Maybe, maybe. Stuttgart because you know Ito is also leaving for uh for Japan for the Asian uh for the Asian Cup Gurasi who has been the striker to watch you know in if you if you look at the top three strikers in this Bundesliga campaign that's been Harry Kane Victor Boniface and Seiro Gurasi so Stuttgart is thanking Gurasi for the fact that they've they've been up so far um you know in the Champions League spots and they're missing Gurasi obviously Ito was dealing with an injury right before the break but also you know Silas Vamagituka and Wu Yongjong um for South Korea as well they're missing a few good players and if you look at Bayern for instance arguably their biggest miss is Min Jae Kim and he'll be his position will be filled by Matthias de Licht. So well, it's not a bad replacement. No, definitely not. Um I mean the only reason Bayern are going for defensive players now is because they only have two center backs with Upamecano and De Licht. But yeah. Just on that, sir. We're oh. talking about defensive players at Bayern. Can we appreciate oh, just oh, ever rub this in ever so quickly? Because it's funny. Ever so quickly. That a player who plays professional football with a brain 
has chosen Tottenham Hotspur over Bayern Munich. I think, personally, that's quite funny. Arguably, he doesn't have a brain because even his agent doesn't understand why he still said no because the papers weren't signed at Spurs when the call came from Bayern. And the player still said no. And his agent was like, you do realize that this is one of the top three clubs in the world to sign for. Any player would be gunning for the opportunity to play for them, right? And he was like, nah, my family and I, we, we want to go to London. We want to go to Spurs. I mean, I don't know how much of a slap in the face that is as much as, you know, well, you do you, but Spurs trophy ca- cabinet is empty and Bayern is one of the biggest three clubs in the world. I don't know. I don't think it's a slap in the face. I think the guy needs to get his head checked, but that's just me. So we'll just keep a little an bit eye. Faulty. Just a little bit. We will <laughs> keep an eye on the career of Dragostan uh, at Spurs, the Romanian 21-year-old centre-half. But quickly, before we move on to other teams, I just think on the... Just going back to Leverkusen, I think Patrick Schick has come back from injury probably at the best possible time. Oh, he came yeah, back. A, he came back a, about a month or so ago, but he's got three goals in five games so far this season. So as long as they can keep Florian Wirtz providing those types of chances, I think they'll probably just about be okay. Yeah, but it's still a big if. Not gonna lie, it's a big if because he has been out for so long. But you know, we'll we'll see because some of the goals that Boniface has scored, it's just down to brute strength and. Exactly. Steam rolling his way through. I think maybe another club that could have been affected could have been Eintracht Frankfurt with the likes of losing Marmouche, uh, Shkiri and Chaibi. Uh, but they have brought in Donny van der Beek and Sasha Kalajic, both on loan from United and Wolves. So they've covered those positions pretty well, I think. And Robin yeah, Cox on a new contract as well. So, like you said to me before we started recording, uh, the problem was Leeds, not Robin Cox. Well, yeah, but, I mean, Robin Cox was a was was you know in the ranks of the German national team before he came uh, to to Frankfurt, and you know, if we're being honest, Leeds, we've seen we've seen the downfall. Sometimes it really just is the club atmosphere. Um, long, long may it continue. <laughs> as a United fan, I wouldn't expect anything different. Just but on the subject of United, let's move over to the Premier League. Oh, hang on. I was going to give something out about fucking... Hang on. Oh, we'll do that again. Uh, just before we move to the Premier League, uh, this may be one of the most African Cup of Nations stories ever. Oh, yeah, I think I know what you're going to go on about. So uh, the Gabon national team player, Guelo? Uh, Guelo? I don't know. You're, anyway. you're asking the wrong person. I'm not Gabon. <laughs> the, Gabon <laughs> the Gabon national team player, uh, Kanga Kaku, uh, will be meeting with CAF Disciplinary Committee uh, to explain why his mother died in 1986. Uh, but his registration papers say he was born in 1990. So... I'm getting flashbacks to that la- that player that Lazio claimed was 16, and my man looked like he'd, he'd seen combat. 
I'm sorry, but that, who was who was that other guy? The this Cameroonian player who was also registered as being 17, and he had a receding hairline that make Luke literally. He had a receding hairline that make Luke. Fuck me, Luke. The guy had a receding hairline that make. And he had a receding hairline that made Luke Littler's hairline look like a five-year-old's. And I'm, I'm sorry, there's no way Luke Littler, Littler is 17 or 16, whatever whatever it is. Not a I, chance. Not that a, guy, I, I already sent you this before. That hairline has an ex-wife and two kids. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're genuinely <laughs> I'm not sorry. Wrong. So let's leave Luke Littler uh, at the uh, at the Ali Pali. But let's talk about the Premier League players that are going to be missing because of the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asia Cup. So we'll start with Arsenal. Mohamed El Neni off the AFCON, not really a massive miss. Yeah, but he's a rotational player. You know that he's one less extra option that you've got. It's it doesn't it's not going to be massive, but it also doesn't help. It doesn't help, and we'll talk about Arsenal in a few moments' time. Thomas Partey is injured, so he's not been picked by Ghana, and they will be losing Tommy Yasu to Japan, probably one of the clubs that will go quite far in that competition as well, so they'll probably lose him for most of the duration. Brentford are losing Johan Visser, Soman Godos, Frank Onyeka and Kim Ji-Su. Brighton, of course, without Kiro Matoma, one of their better players, and Simon Andingra. No players from Burnley, because uh, Lyle Foster, he was included in South Africa's preliminary squad, but he was eventually omitted on mental health grounds which Vincent Company called a sensible decision. Uh, we all wish him the very best. And Anas Zauri has been left out of the Morocco squad. Chelsea are only losing Nicholas Jackson, which I'm sure most Chelsea fans will probably be a bit glad about. Fulham are having Calvin Bassi and Alex Awobi, both with Nigeria and Fodo Balo Torre. Liverpool, of course, with Taro Endo off to Japan. And Mohamed Salah, massive loss for Liverpool, considering he's finally struck a rich vein of form which had been lacking for most of this season. So he's come into form at the wrong time, I think, from Liverpool. Uh, yeah, but his hairline in is basically the polar opposite to that because that is losing form way quick. I think it's just because there's too much there. It's just weighing itself down. Uh, is it, though? Probably not, no. But, <laughs> uh, we will talk more about Liverpool in just a second. Luton are losing Issa Kabore. No players from Manchester City. So they're in a good position this January. Andre Onana and Sofian Amrabat from Manchester United. Similar with Nicholas Jackson. Some fans probably glad about that. Newcastle, no players at the tournament either. They are linked with Salonatana striker Belaya Dia, but he's in the Senegal squad. Nottingham Forest are losing six players. They're losing Serge Aurier, Willy Bolly, Ibrahim Sangare, Cheku Kiate, Musa Niakite and Ola Aina. Tottenham having Pape Sar, Yves Basuma and Son Heung-min, which I think is a massive miss. West Ham are losing Mohamed Kudus and Naif Al-Gerd. And Wolves are losing Huang Hee Chan, Bubakar Traore and Ryan Eight-Nuri. Justin Hubner, who's eligible for Indonesia, hasn't been selected. So, the biggest misses, I'd argue, obviously not Ongan Forest, but their squad is about 70 members strong at this point. Mohamed exactly. Salah from Liverpool. Yeah in, a, yeah. in the position they're in, I have said to a couple of Liverpool fans that I know that I thought maybe it's theirs this year to lose, particularly after Arsenal struggles, which we will talk about. The 2-0 win 
against Arsenal in the FA Cup. He wasn't there for that. So they can win against a good team without him. The 4-2 win against Newcastle, he was fantastic in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if we're being honest, that has to be the miss of the Premier League so far because... On we... par with Son at Spurs, I think, given... Yes, but on the other hand, Spurs have been struggling even with Son. And Liverpool right now are top because, in uh, you know, in part, thanks to Mohamed Salah. So it, it's one of those things where I would say... Mm, there are some candidates, but I think Salah will go down as the biggest miss, especially when you look at the fact that Manchester City are going to lose zero players and be gunning for you know a a resurgence, if you will, of form. And in, you know they just got Kevin De Bruyne back. Um, I think for Liverpool that couldn't have come at a worse time. Forest obviously heavy. Six players and not just any six. Um, so I, I I would say even with the six Forest players leaving, what's on the line for Liverpool is the title, basically. And Salah's done his best to get Liverpool up there. And I think without him, they would be missing some goals and some top performances, as you said. So I don't know. I would still go stick with Salah and say that's the biggest miss of the Prem. I can't argue with that. I just possibly maybe when Spurs are in full flow, Son is the the focal point. But it's okay, Tottenham fans. They've replaced him for this month at least with Timo Werner. Oh, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. Um, but you know, sticking with North London woes, Arsenal. I'm I'm just going to put this out there. Arsenal were first at Christmas and managed to buy buy oh, fuck and managed to buy New Year's Day drop to fourth if that's not the most arsenal thing to happen i don't know what is it's incredibly funny but how why and when will it end i suppose is probably the questions to ask you know you lose 2-0 to West Ham and also to Liverpool in the FA Cup. So they're now out of the FA Cup. They previously, well. lost, they previously lost 3-1 to West Ham in the Carabao Cup. They lost 2-1 to Fulham. 1-0 away at Villa Park. They're crying out for a recognised goal scorer. They've got Gabriel Jesus. Fine. Okay, but he's not a goal scorer. There's a hey, reason. Pessia isn't, you know, he's, he's basically the talent that never progressed on from being a talent because I, I'm sorry, at age... 23 at some point you're gonna to have to mature exactly if it hasn't happened by this point it probably won't for him at arsenal unless he's happy being a squad player exactly you know they brought kai havertz in but he seems to be playing everywhere he against liverpool had a host of chances to score in the fa oh, he Cup. should have put one of those to bed but the problem is he's i don't know kai havertz is a 10. that's his best position arsenal don't play with one they play with two eights. One of which isn't Kai Havertz at the moment. Exactly. So, and you see all these Arsenal fans going on about, oh yeah, but we're, we're linked with Victor Rossiman and we're linked with this and we're linked with that. You're not getting Victor Rossiman. There's no way Arsenal shell out the money that Napoli want for him. And arguably, Rossiman's best time to basically go for on and, and get a transfer was 
this previous summer because Napoli now aren't top of Serie A. It's not as strong of a season as last season, and now it's kind of back on you know the decline. It was probably he probably should have moved last uh, last summer. Yeah, and Napoli blocked it. His stock is on is on the the drop. I, I, oh, I would, yeah, definitely. would agree, but there's a lot of positions in this Arsenal team that they need improving. You know, Alexander Zinchenko at left back. I don't think he's a very good left back. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus. I've spoken about him. I I get why he's. I get why Mikel Arteta is reluctant to break up the partnership of Saliba and Gabriel, but if that comes at the cost of playing Ben White at right back. He did play right back at youth level. I will give him that. But his fantastic performances for Brighton, which earned him that move to Arsenal, came at centre-back. So I think oh, at yeah. one point, something needs to be said about that. I know Yuri and Timber's injured as well, which you know isn't fantastic, but I don't know. They're basically touted as being one of the best young talents to ever come out of English football, Bukayo Saka, has the same amount of non-penalty goals as Mikhailo Mudrik this season, which is three. These players like Udegaard and Saka, who are being touted as, you know, the Messiah for, or the Messiahs for Arsenal, have now also had a drop in form, and it shows. And I mean, I still have both in my fantasy Premier League team, and I don't know why. Well, people talk about the current state of Manchester United. And that last season, the players and the coach overachieved by finishing third and winning the the Carabao Cup. Yeah. You could very comfortably argue the same for Arsenal and Mikel Arteta. Being that close in a title race for as long as they were was an overachievement on their part. Because I, I love Martin Odegaard. Yeah. I love Martin Odegaard. And seeing him play well, I've said it on here before, makes me happy. So oh, yeah, play well is, is fantastic, but he's not this world class, almost captain fantastic that's going to drag them across the line. We've seen it with Arsenal when things aren't going well, and it's a large, large criticism of Bruno Fernandes as well as a captain. When things aren't going well, they do tend to shirk. Same with Bukayo Saka, same with. Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus. I can't really throw Reese Nelson and Emil Smith Rowe into that ring because they just don't get the chance to play. But I mean, Reese Nelson played, played against Liverpool, but Smith Rowe's had his injury problems. I think all you have to do is look at Granite Xhaka now at Bayer Leverkusen. They got rid of Granite Xhaka at the wrong time. If they were going to get rid of Xhaka, should have got rid of him when he was a problem player. He rebuilt himself up last season at Arsenal. Yeah. And he's left, and he's now not lost a game for Bayer Leverkusen. Well, I mean, he said it uh, himself in interviews. The only reason he stayed at Arsenal was because of Mikel Arteta. So if even, even a coach's love of you will only keep you so long at a club, especially when everyone else is crying out for your release. Yeah, there's only so much abuse... A person can take i i respect it i understand that but to not replace him properly because fabio vieira is not good enough no Jorginho's probably at one point when he first joined chelsea was very good 
I was but now, best time was never in an Arsenal shirt. It wasn't a no. Chelsea shirt. There's no, a no, reason well, Chelsea let him go. Exactly. Like, you have to think there's a reason Chelsea let these players go. Kai Havertz as well. Timo Werner sending him back to Germany. Mason Mounts was a contract thing. But again... He hasn't... I mean, yeah, he's been injured. The amount of injuries he's, the amount of injuries he's had at United already. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can understand why they let these players go to direct rivals. Which yeah, is the argument. Was, there was this one thing I saw on Instagram, which was, which had Mount in a uh, United shirt, obviously. Havertz in a in an Arsenal shirt and Vanna in a Tottenham shirt. And someone said, show this to Chelsea fans in 2021. Oh, that's yeah. the Champions League winning exactly. three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the front three that that played in that winning Champions League side. Two of the players involved as well. You know, it was Mason Mount's pass for the Kai Havertz finish. Exactly. For the goal, you show that to a Chelsea fan like the day after the Champions League final. Oh yeah, by the way, Mount will be What's at United. Happening? Havertz will be at Arsenal, and and Werner will be at Spurs via going back to Leipzig. They'd probably, uh, maybe about Timo Werner they would have done, but not Kai Havertz and certainly not Mason Mount, not no. at that point anyway. So, Arsenal, how do you fix it? First off, a, a proper genuine number nine, which as United have found yes. out, incredibly fucking hard to come across. Oh, yeah. There's all this talk of, a, of an older, more senior striker coming in on loan. And one of those names that has been touted is Eric Maxine Trupomoti, which wouldn't be a terrible move but all this no. all this situation has made me do is get very nostalgic for edinson cavani <laughs> but that you is the type see of the guy at age 37 or 38 whatever he is come bring back him <laughs> bring him back from boca juniors to, to soothe my aching heart <laughs> but that is the type of player yeah that arsenal could very comfortably go and get in this window and I mean, so far, very little to no rumors surrounding a second number nine coming in, which, if we're being honest, that's a problem. It's not, it's not great reading. One player I would keep an eye on is, is uh, Simeone from Napoli. Not happy at Napoli. Yeah. yeah. Not happily at Napoli. And... <laughs> I can't oh, resist just, it. Just, that, so that's, the, that's the title of the episode. It's the title of the episode. What? Not happily at Napoli. Oh God! <laughs> I couldn't help it. I could not help I, it. I was going to say, bottom line. Bottom line. Would you say Arsenal's biggest fix would be a number nine, or do you think there are bigger problems at play? There are probably other problems to fix, but I'd say in January, if they want to get there push for a, a title back on track they've got a Europa League to play for as well but the deeper they go in the Europa League the better the teams are going to get exactly and, and not only the, the better the teams but you need a bigger squad and the lack of a proper number nine will hurt them so in January which is where we see a lot of short-term fixes a proper striker even a loan move like the Kalajic one, which might might have been a good one for for Arsenal to do. You know, Sasha Kalajic has gone back on loan to Frankfurt. He'll probably do very well. You know, you don't want to go buying another fluid front man because no, we've seen that with Gabriel Jesus. It, it 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 works for a bit, but when you need a number nine, when you need to pump it long, 
There's it no doesn't work. You know, yeah. say what you like about Darwin Nunez and his comical lack of composure in front of goal. But he has a he has a use for Liverpool. Yeah. Because Liverpool isn't always nice, picky tacker play through the lines and work it through and score a beautiful goal. Yeah. Sometimes they need to hoof it long and they have to have a man who can use his body and hold it up. Rasmus Hoyland is good at it. It's quite raw at it still. Erling Haaland is fantastic at it. Well, obviously. Armando Broyer for Chelsea is very good at that as well. So there are players out there. Simeone, Vlahovic is always egging for a move away, it would it would seem. I was about to say, wasn't he even in contention in the summer as well? Something like that. He's always linked with Arsenal, Dusan Vlahovic. But even someone older, I mean, you look at Borgia Iglesias from Real Betis or Gerard Moreno from Villarreal. There are a few names. Moving away from who could bolster Arsenal's ranks, where do you see them, just as a final thought, where do you see them ending up in the Premier League. They've obviously fallen quite quickly in the in the table and in the rankings. But, you know, they, they the only other competition they've now got is the Europa League. They don't have Carabao or FA Cup to worry about. Premier League, are Arsenal still making top four? I can't see Chelsea or United improving that much, I don't think. So they're probably in a, they're probably in a good position where other teams below them are going to be awful. The problem is one of the teams below them is is Spurs. Yeah. Who are on the cusp of getting players back. Mickey van den Ven is back in training. They're going to sign that center back from Genoa. Won't be too long before James Madison's back. Son's only out for a month. Timo Werner for all we know can hit the ground running at Spurs. Yeah, Big so in, you don't know. They're in quite a precarious position with with Tottenham. So if they're not careful, they could very comfortably finish even sixth with Brighton and and West Ham. I mean, they've shown that they can lose to West Ham pretty easily, <laughs> like twice. So, final prognosis: they could fall as far as sixth. And would that be it? Would that be the end of the glow-up of Arsenal? Would they have to go through another round of rebuilding in the sense that they would at least have to plan the squad around a new striker? They would have to go and invest in that. They would have to invest in maybe a new left-back, as you said, with Sinchenko not really working out. So is this kind of still like a make-or-break year after the fact that they were so close to winning the title and then, for lack of a better word, pissed it away at the last second? I don't think it's a make or break year. They've got a very good core. I mean, sort that fucking goalkeeper position out. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, you you pick one or the other or neither and buy a number one. You don't have two number ones. That's not how football works. No. Call Call me an old man. Call me a man of the past, but that's not how football works. You pick one or the other, you stop fucking about with it. David Raya is clearly his favorite choice. And Just even make David Ryan one and tell Ramsdale that's it. But even David Ryan is not fantastic. So get no. a decent goalkeeper in. I think a left back, the centre backs are great. Gabriel and uh, William Saliba are fantastic. Ben White does a job at right back. Yeah. I'm not convinced it's his long term position, but he does a job there. A new left back. Poss- they're, they're set for a defensive midfielder because Declan Rice is one of the best in the league, only yeah. probably behind Rodri 
on par, I'd say, with Jao Paulinho. Yeah. Try and get Kai Havertz into a position he's comfortable with. Because you've got Martinelli, you've got Saka. If you can get Rice, Erdegaard and Havertz in a midfield three, I mean, it probably won't happen. Because, you know, again, I'll use the United example. We've seen the Casemiro, Fernandez, and Mount experiment fall on its ass because they both bomb forward and nobody tracks back. But get that <laughs> proper number nine, a goal-scoring number nine. I don't care who it is. Buy nobody else and just get Oshimek. Because you would be would, sorted, wouldn't you? Yeah. That would fix 80% of the problems. The other 10% will come from Havertz and a left back. Yeah. That's my that's my my uh my suggestion for Mikel Arteta. If you're listening, Mikel, big fan of your hair. Big but, fan of the hairline. Well, it's I like think... a Lego man's hair. <laughs> it it doesn't look natural, does it? It's not real. I'm convinced he he screws it in like a like a lamp or something. Or like you know that bit in Star Wars where Darth Vader gets his mask clipped on. He'll be sat in his office and in his chair, like, high pitched whistling when it like when that, it gets... he'll slowly be be leant forward up in his chair and his hair will descend from the ceiling and <laughs> dry ice and steam and then just be uh and then and then if it's not on pro- properly it'll be he's a disgrace. He's a, a disgrace. disgrace. He's a disgrace. Yeah. Well, I think on that note, we will leave it for this week. Don't forget, obviously, to keep your eyes peeled. We will be back on the airwaves weekly. We just had a little bit of a festive slump, if you will. We went for the Bundesliga model of the festive period and not the Premier League. Um, we gave ourselves a little, a little bit of a winter break. Um, we do admit this much. But we are back in the full flow. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But as always, thank you very much for listening and Happy New Year, guys. That's right, guys. Happy New Year. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.